There's no better time to become a member of the DSR network. Later this month, we'll be announcing a major media partnership to our ever-expanding lineup of podcasts, bringing you even more insight and analysis than ever before. Members enjoy an ad-free listening experience, bonus content for virtually all of our shows, an invitation to the member-only Slack community, an evening newsletter recapping the day's top stories, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of October, you can take 50% off the membership price for the first month. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code SPOOKY at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code SPOOKY. Thank you very much for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast, the mothership of all of our DSR podcasts, um, our midweek discussion of what's going on in the world. Uh, I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you from Washington, D.C., and I am pleased to be joined by three of our very best friends, starting with uh, the woman who was here at the very beginning and who I blame this whole podcast on. Hi, Rosa. You're from Georgetown University still. How are you doing? Hi, David. I'm 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 great. Um, I'm great. I feel very reassured that our our government is hard at work. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, national. Now we are also joined by General Mark Hurtling, who is in Florida. Did you have an emergency alert in Florida? Just we now? just did, and it was great. I loved it. And does it make you feel secure? Um, not as much as a nice warm blanket. So it, it was good, though. It was as good. And we have Ambassador. We gave all those to the Ukrainians, Mark. We don't have any more for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's true. And we have Ambassador Evo Dollar, who was our ambassador to NATO, who now runs the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. Did you have an alert in Chicago? Yeah, apparently mine came in like 30 seconds later. Uh, so obviously we're more dispensable than the rest of the country. We feel like that. And, you know, that's why some people derogatively call, call us flyover country. Uh, we actually, you know, it's a really nice place. Uh, we have decent weather and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's very nice. And uh, for those of us who are viewing this on video, we can see your beautiful office and your beautiful view. Um, and as somebody who was born in Illinois, I can relate. Although I was born in Urbana, Illinois, um, home of the Fighting Illini. Still a very nice part of the of the country. Very nice part of the country. We're not here to talk about that, although I thought that was a kind of funny way to kick off this podcast. Um, but having said that, um, let's talk about what we are here to talk about, um, uh, which I thought would be limited to the decision by the Congress uh, in its uh, effort to avoid a government shutdown to really focus in on only one thing. The, the MAGA parties got only one concession on their way to getting a continuing resolution. There was only one hill they wanted to die on, and that was not funding Ukraine aid. Um, I'll start with you, Mark. How'd that make you feel? It 
well, first of all, it was very surprising that that was the hill that they died on. Uh, secondly, it just gives an indication of, of the lack of seriousness in international affairs that many of them have and a lack of understanding of what the situation in Ukraine uh, entails. Uh, watching them just put that off to the side is just an indicator to me how uh, less than serious they, that many of them are. I won't say all of them, but many of them that are guiding the principles of the Republican Party right now have very little interest in understanding the dynamics of international affairs and foreign relations and the, the hurt, trying to hurt the Biden administration's foreign policy uh, with regard to European security. So, Eva, there you were, you know, um, not so long ago in uh, uh, Brussels dealing with, uh, you know, NATO and uh, having to go around and explain to people how our political system worked, uh, uh, you know, when it didn't so well. Um, how do you think they're all reacting to this with the prospect that we also have of, you know, a Trump presidency not too far off? Well, I, I, I mean, clearly uh, the reaction to not uh, having any uh, the six billion, uh, which was was all that we're uh, we're talking about here, uh, as part of the uh, the continuing resolution, um, uh, has been almost vitriolic. I mean, the idea somehow has been taken taken a hold in in uh, in Europe that uh, the United States uh, has now will now stop providing aid to uh, to Ukraine. I actually don't believe that's the case. Uh, I, I agree that there is a high degree of dysfunction within uh, the, the Republican caucus in the House, um, but that doesn't reflect either the sentiment on, on Capitol Hill uh, or indeed the sentiment uh, in, in the nation uh, writ large. Uh, even a majority of Republicans in the House are still in favor of uh, supporting uh, Ukraine, and that's certainly true uh, in the Senate, an overwhelming bipartisan majorities uh, in, in, in both houses. So we just have a hiccup. Uh, we, uh, uh, you know, these things happen in the way this system works. So you, that, that's what you try to explain. But it does come, and I think this is the point. It does come in the background of seeing uh, Donald Trump become, you know, the the the, lead, the the leader who can do no wrong. I guess. Uh, in the Republican Party, uh, who is going to be the candidate, and by by virtue of being the candidate, has a chance of becoming president of the United States. And people are deeply, deeply, deeply worried about that, frankly, <laughs> for all the right reasons. Uh, because if you care about alliances and you care about cooperation in the United States, and if you care about predictability, uh, having Donald Trump as president, not just uh, the first time around, but again, and the American people being the ones to put him there uh, is is concerning when uh, you have a relationship that ultimately is not based on treaties or or or, or law. It's based on trust, uh, and that trust would be uh, would be broken. Well, so Rosa, um, you know, I, I, Eva correctly points out that there's substantial majority um, uh, in both houses of Congress and and strong feelings in the White House that we continue to support Ukraine. But this incident of, of, of passing this uh, continuing resolution was then followed by uh, uh, the Republican caucus giving the heave-ho to Speaker McCarthy. Um, and that was something that was engineered by eight people. 
It had nothing to do with the majority. It had to do with the fact that they have set up a set of rules that says anybody can kick the speaker out if he doesn't get a majority. And all the Democrats thought, well, you know, we're not going to help this guy out. Uh, and that, I think, suggests uh, going forward, whoever ends up being the speaker, um, that those eight people, um, six people, 10 people, whatever that number of group people is, are going to have a huge amount of power. And they've said they don't want to support aid for Ukraine. And one of the two leading candidates for uh, speaker, I mean, there are only two candidates right now, uh, Jim Jordan, uh, uh, just imagine that for a minute, Speaker Jim Jordan, uh, Speaker Jim Jordan, uh, 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 or you know, would not support aid for Ukraine. He said it. So, what do you think that means for the prospects going forward? Uh, well, several thoughts. I mean, I mean, one, um, right, Jim Jordan uh, <laughs> is not a happy thought. On the other hand, we already know that Jim Jordan will say virtually anything to virtually anybody. Um, uh, so I don't know that Jim Jordan saying that right now necessarily means that if he he became speaker, that he would stick to that. Um, you know, he would like to become speaker. Uh, that being so, I, I don't know. I mean, I am I am the absolute worst person to ask about internal congressional fighting because uh, I get so depressed every time I think about it or read about it that I, I have to immediately stop reading. I, I do think what is worth pulling out of this is that this is, you know, as you said, David, wildly counter-majoritarian and counter-democratic, you know, very large majorities, both in the House, in the Senate, and in the U.S. population at large, do support continued support for Ukraine. Um, and in fact, I was very struck, uh, the, there was an article in the Washington Post today, as we're, as we're recording this, um, on declining U.S. public support for uh, providing military assistance to Ukraine. The thing that was actually most striking to me about that article is that it has declined so little. Uh, it has declined, you know, from 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 a high. Uh, I don't. I would have to look back at the numbers. Um, uh, you know, but from a high of uh, averaging about you know eighty percent or so supporting it uh, in March twenty twenty two to now, you know, closer to I don't know seventy ish percent. Um, um, and it has declined most starkly among Republicans who are now down to a support level of about 50% while Democrats uh, are still up at 77%. Um, but the astonishing thing, as I said about that, those, those, those levels of support are actually still extraordinarily high. And they, and especially if you go back to a year ago, not to March, 2022, if you go back to, you know, October of 2022, there has been very little change in public support. Um, I, I was curious to see how that compared, for instance, to U.S. Uh, support by party lines for the war in Iraq in 2006. And, you know, the, they were those numbers were flipped. You know, in 2006, American support for a war that we were fighting in Iraq uh, was very, very low, very large majorities disapproved of the war, uh, particularly Democrats, but also Republicans. So in some sense, we actually have a kind of stunningly high level of robust support for continuing aid to Ukraine in the general public, as well as, as in Congress, in both houses of Congress. Um, and to see that being held up, as you say, by these eight people is 
depressing and I, and, but I do wonder, you know, I mean, look, this is the Republican party has got to get its house in order at this point. And we've been saying it for a long time, it hasn't happened. So I don't want to suggest that this will finally, you know, how many times have we sort of said, surely this will be the wake up call um, when uh, it hasn't worked. Um, but, but, you know, I think everything will depend on, you know, does Congress, does, do the Republicans out, out, Matt Gatz, uh, that's a real possibility. If he's gone, what happens then? You know, who becomes the next speaker? Uh, do they do they end up uh, saying, well, actually, sorry, fellas, but I have to do what the very large majority of my fellow party members want me to do, not what not what you people want me to do. I don't know. David, yes. just on, on on this poll, which was which is which is our poll, the the, the Chicago Council. Uh, yes, Evo's poll. So, Good job, Evo. Um, just just to underscore Rose's point, uh, if you compare U.S. you know the the meme in in in, uh, in this Twitter space, or frankly in, in in D.C., is that support quote is collapsing. It's not. It was down from sixty five percent in in November of uh, of twenty two to sixty three percent support for military aid, which is pretty uh, much today, which is within the margin of error. Yeah. Uh, and, and so uh, it is flat as a pancake. And the only thing that is that is going down is Republicans. But even the majority of Republicans continue to support military aid. So this idea that it's unpopular, that there is war fatigue, that we can't get anything done is just it's 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 a fiction uh, uh, of, uh, uh, I don't know, reporters who are not spending a lot of time thinking about the reality. Uh, there's a strong bipartisan support for this, and it's and and a strong popular support. What more do you want? Well, okay, Mark. Ninety percent of Americans support background checks on guns. Uh, Seventy-five or eighty percent support more gun control. Uh, Seventy-plus percent of Americans support women's abortion rights, increasing health care availability, education reform. Uh, more uh, work on the climate, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just saying there are actually larger majorities that support other things that the MAGA Republicans oppose, that the Republican Party opposes. And I want to do a bit of a thought experiment here. Um, and 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 it's, a, it's an ugly one. And I, I know to all four of us would be something super uncomfortable. But what if they block it? What if from now through the next election, uh, the Republican House is able to stop any additional appropriations for Ukraine? What do you see as the consequence? Well, there's a, a couple of consequences, David. I think one has to do with certainly the tactical implications on the battlefield. The other one is the strategic implications, which Evo saw up close and personal in NATO and in all of Europe. Uh, the The thing that is the most important to me right now, though, that I'm watching very closely as I watch the war is the effects that Russian disinformation, misinformation and malinformation has not only on, you could say, the Republican Party or the leaders, but how it reflects itself in American society and how it further uh, negates our ideals and, and values and what we believe in, in terms of a global security apparatus, uh, relationships, alliances, partnerships, and all of those things which have been eroded and the effects it will have on another institution. Uh, <clears throat> the great Asher Rangappa had, had a terrific substack 
yesterday about how many are using disinformation to further scandalize the military and other institutions using all sorts of means to proclaim how bad we are. And in this case, uh, if you're talking about a Congress that suddenly blocks aid and refocuses on other things like the 40, now two days, I guess, that they have until the continuing resolution comes due, and there are higher priorities, or at least it seems higher priorities in the American uh, electorate, we're going to see a nation that is instrumental to European security and, in fact, world security be further hurt on the battlefield and in the, the politics of European alliances. So that, that's what concerns me. I, I see the, I, I think you were trying to gear me more toward the tactical picture because in the short term, you're going to see a decrease in the amount of the kinds of aid Ukraine needs as they have been living hand, literally hand to mouth, I think is the term that John Kirby used yesterday in his press conference in terms of ammunition. You know, the military has two terms. I'll introduce you to another set of abbreviations or acronyms that the military uses. It's called CSR and RSR. Uh, CSR is controlled supply rate. RSR is required supply rate. We cannot right now meet the required supply rate of ammunition for the Ukrainian forces that we're providing to them. It is right on the margin. If it goes to a controlled supply rate, and we say to the Ukrainian forces, all we're going to give you is X amount or use what's left, it's going to very negatively affect the conditions on the battlefield, especially during the next six to 12 weeks of good weather they have to continue an operation that, in my view, watching it every day, is continuing to garner a little bit of momentum against some of the Russian defenses. So just at the time, when things are going relatively better, not well, but better for the Ukrainian offensive operations, they're going to be restricted in terms of the amount of artillery they use. And make no mistake about it, this is a different kind of war we're, we're seeing in Ukraine. It is a war of massed artillery. It has been that way since last summer. Uh, it is not a war of maneuver. It's not a war of air-ground integration. It is firepower and infantry, and that's it. It's a World War I type of conflict. So if, if we reduce the amount of supplies we can provide them tactically, it's going to have a strategic effect on the battlefield and what Russia may get out of this and what Zelensky may achieve in his war aims. Mark, I can't help but notice, since I can see you on video, even though our listeners can't, uh, you have two baseball bats in the corner of your office, and I'm, I'm thinking it would be helpful if you could just ship those over to Kiev. I, I would, yeah. Every little I, would, I have volunteered several times and would like to do that, to be honest with you, Rosa. Um, you know, uh, apropos of what Mark is saying, Evo, I saw a statement uh, in the past 24 hours from a leading European saying they are scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of their ammunition um, reserves. And, you know, what this all suggests to me is you know, this is a very dangerous period in the life of this war. We already knew Putin was going to wait and try to drag things out through the 2024 elections because if Trump could get elected he, he or somebody like him, he might see that as a turning point that he could play to his advantage. 
But here you have some of that arriving earlier, Republicans dragging their feet. Uh, you already have Europeans saying, well, we don't even have enough ammunition here, which then leads them, you know, is going to lead to a debate about where they apply their resources. Um, uh, you know, the, the final point is that here, when you talk about the U.S., you know, perhaps not um, keeping up its uh, flows of aid, people say, well, you know, then the Europeans are going to have to make up for it. But they're not going to do that, are they? I mean, what do you think, you? They don't even have baseball bats. Well, that, that's a good well, point. Bats in, in certain, well, they have cricket bats. They're, they're, they're pretty good, too, uh, at least in certain parts of Europe. But, you know, I mean, this is this is the entire point uh, of this really ludicrous debate uh, that we're having on whether it's wor- worth or uh, to continue the kind of aid that we have or, quote, we ran out of money or whatever else. Uh, I mean, first, most importantly, if anybody on February 24, 2022, had told you that an investment by the United States of $43 billion and no American lives would have led to the destruction of half the Russian army, everybody has said, fantastic, I'll do that. I'll give you $100 billion if you want to do that. It has been an unbelievable investment. And that's what the Ukrainians have been doing. They have been destroying uh, the Russian army, not the Air Force, uh, not the Navy, although the Navy also is suffering uh, uh, consequences. And, 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 and they've been doing it, uh, of course, to protect themselves and an incredible cost to them, uh, but with real uh, positive uh, consequences for us. Uh, so that, that, that's sort of, we need to remember what this is, what this is about and how uh, this, is, this is emerging. But the idea that somehow there are other people who are going to be filling the gap that the United States would leave if we walked from the, you know, they, they may want to, but they can't. Because if we don't have enough ammunition and we have, uh, have uh, not done enough in order to maintain uh, the readiness of our forces and the investment on all the stuff that isn't, uh, uh, isn't uh, high quality and, and, and the, the, the kind of toys uh, platforms that are incredibly expensive and which we've invested in rather than ammunition. The Europeans haven't invested in anything um, for a very long time. Mark knows this better than anyone else. Uh, he's had to operate alongside them. I mean, the German army is 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 a, a shadow of its former self, but not even. I mean, it would be nice if it were. Um, I'm not even talking about this, the, the kind of German army that we don't want to have co- ever come back. I'm talking about the German army that existed uh, in the 1980s or the 1990s, uh, it was a very significant army. And so the idea that somehow the Europeans are going to do this, and let alone uh, uh, whether they're willing to, uh, it's not in a sufficient time frame uh, for them to be able to fill the gap. And the final point I'd make is, if, if you really don't want to play into Putin's hands, which presumably is what no one wants to do, with some exceptions, then Allowing him to wait us out, which is his strategy, as you rightly said, David, uh, this is the way to do it. This is the way in which you are playing directly into his hands. So let's be clear. Whose side are we on? Are we on the side of Putin or are we on the side of the people who are trying to destroy the Russian army? Uh, and, and by the way, maintaining uh, some semblance of freedom and independence in the process. Uh, and that's what this that's what this fight needs to be about. It's not about money. 
It's not about $6 billion here or $6 billion there, or frankly, $60 billion, which uh, uh, Lindsey Graham has said he wants to uh, vote on ASAP. Uh, it's not about the money. It's about uh, the, the, the where are we in this conflict, whose side are we on, and the idea that this is not in our interest is complete and other bollocks. Okay, so I agree with Evo. I, th- I know Mark agrees with Evo. Um, I think even, Rosa, you agree with Evo. I agree with Evo. Well, that's good. So there are four of us here. We all agree with Evo. We've got four minutes left before we take our break. And I know, Rosa, you have to leave after that. So let me ask you one last question, Rosa. Um, Evo makes an articulate case. Mark makes an articulate case. You make an articulate case. But I was talking to somebody this morning, and they were like, the president needs to make an articulate case. The president needs to be talking about this every day. The president is the one who needs to convey to everyone that this undercuts American national security, strengthens our enemies, um, uh, is, is missing an opportunity to get a huge return on our investment. Because right now, nobody is making that case front and center in Washington. Do you agree with that critique? I think that's a little bit unfair to the president. I think he has been making this case. Could he make it even more? Sure, I suppose. You know, he could make it, you know, every single day. He could give press conference every single day and say the same thing. But I don't think anybody is confused about that. Um, I, I think the people who aren't making that case are, are some Democratic members of Congress, you know, who who recognize, and, and this is, I, I, I get this, that Although American public support has remained strong, this is still pretty abstract for most Americans. I mean, right? Remember, the war in Iraq was abstract for most Americans for most of the time, right? As long as there weren't lots and lots of coffins coming home, it was far away. And precisely because a relatively small percentage of the population is either in the military or has immediate relatives, close friends in the military, even when we were the ones doing the fighting, which is not the case now, uh, I think it, it still felt pretty distant to very large percentage of Americans. And here we have, you know, a bunch of people in a country that most Americans probably could not locate on a map, uh, have never been to. Um, and, you know, they're, they're not, they're not going and writing a million letters to their senators or their members of Congress saying, I demand to know why we're not doing more for Ukraine. They may say to pollsters, Yes, I do support this, but it's not really hitting them in the heart, um, you know. And I mean, I think the 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 way Evo framed it is: Can you imagine if we'd said to people, "Hey, are you comfortable spending this much money to you know cripple the Russian military?" They were like, "Yeah, hell yeah." But but you know, in some ways, for good reasons, Americans haven't been feeling as frightened as they were during the Cold War. And in many ways, obviously, that's a that's a good thing. Um, but but you know, it's it's. It's those people, I think, who need to be making that case to their constituents. They don't particularly want to do it because, you know, this is always the the foreign policy leadership paradox, um, you know, that that elected officials say, well, look, you know, people just aren't passionate about this. This is not they're, they're you know, they're focusing on bread and butter issues. You know, they're focusing on issues that are, that are domestic. Their issues are closer to home. And there's really nothing in it for me to be running around talking about foreign policy all the time. You know, it's like 5% of what people care about. Of course, the, the, the obvious rejoinder to that is if you talked about it a little bit more and made the case, people might care about it a little bit more. 
if you actually did the hard work of connecting the dots for them, you know, why does this matter to you? Why will this matter to your children and your children's children? And I, I think that that's where we're really missing missing things here. You know, it's not so much that Biden's not making the case. It's that we still have a whole lot of elected officials who support it, but aren't really willing to go out and do the hard work of selling it to their constituents. Yeah, uh, that's a really good point. And I'm really glad you joined us today, Rosa, and good luck at your meeting that you're going off to. Uh, for all of you who are, uh, you know, in the public, but not yet members, you're also going to go and leave now with Rosa because you can't listen to the bonus content. If you are a member, uh, you'll be able to. If you want to listen to the bonus content, and I really encourage you to do it, go to the dsrnetwork.com, click on membership. It's $5 a month. It helps support what we do. We need more support than we've got in order to expand what we're doing as we are trying to do. Um, so go do that, and then you can listen to the rest, which I know is going to be very interesting. For those of you who are members, stand by. 